Welcome to FMH InsureCast, a podcast created by Farmers Mutual Hale, designed to deliver expertise and insights from trusted FMH team members and industry experts. Each new episode will dive into new products, industry updates, and innovative solutions. Let's get to today's topic. Hello, and welcome back to the FMH InsureCast. I am your host, Ryan Bennis. Today's episode will be all about the Emergency Relief Program, or better known as ERP. This disaster relief program assists farmers who had specific losses in 2020 and 2021. Applications for this program were recently sent to farmers, and we are here to try to answer some common questions about the program. Filling in as host today is Ken Ripley, and he has an excellent guest to discuss this ERP program. Take it away, Ken. Well, thanks, Ryan. Again, my name is Ken Ripley, and I'm going to be the guest host today on the FMH InsureCast. And I'm very excited to have with me Tom Sell with Combest Sell and Associates, who represents the Crop Insurance Professionals Association, otherwise known as SEPA, in the industry. Say hi, Tom, and tell us a little bit more about yourself. Hey, Ken. Good to be with you. Good to see you. Yeah, we've been involved in ag policy for a number of years, a long time ago, with the namesake of our firm, Combest. He was chairman of the Ag Committee. When we wrote the crop insurance rewrite called ARPA in 2000, the last major legislative changes to uh, to the Federal Crop Insurance Act, and then the O2 Farm Bill. So that's kind of my history. I was up there, fell in love with and love the crucible ugliness of Washington, D.C., where these ideas conflict and trying to piece together and put together good policy that, that, that helps create level playing fields and empowers industry within the U.S. So and have, have carved out this niche, particularly in the ag policy world. So work with a lot of your friends up there in Minnesota. In fact, we we brought on the former chairman, Colin Peterson, who helps out SEPA and, and, and our group. So we're, we're just very active in this ag policy arena. Love standing up for the nation's farmers and ranchers in Washington, D.C. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, we're, we're so excited to have you on here today and, and talking about policy. Uh, today's topic is a big one, uh, ERP. And uh, with that, you know, once you we'll, we got lots of areas we want to talk about this program, but maybe start us off with a little bit about what it is, you know, summarize the program if you can, and then we'll get into some of the, some of the weeds on it. Yeah. Well, the first thing it is, is a terrible acronym, ERP. My goodness, it sounds like an enteric <laughs> emission. Uh, just kidding about that. Uh, the emergency relief program was enacted last year. So Congress has gotten into a habit of passing ad hoc disaster assistance. They did it in 17 with the WIP program. They did it in 18 and 19 with the WIP Plus program. Uh, And then last um, fall, September 30th, the appropriations, consolidated appropriations bill provided $10 billion to address uh, weather-related disasters for crop growers and livestock producers in the 2020 and 2021 crop years, actually losses that were covered in the 20 and 21 calendar years uh, that could be related to the, the, the crop years that that covers. So even some fall uh, seeded 2022 crops are covered in this current iteration of our, the, the fourth and fifth years, respectively, of kind of ongoing ad hoc disaster assistance passed by Washington, D.C. Again, it was signed in the law September 30th. Here we are in June of 2022, so you know a full, what is that, I guess nine months later, eight months later, uh, that this is finally rolling out. Uh, and we're all dealing with the details. It's a new version. They didn't just kind of rubber stamp what was done in WIP Plus. They kind of built on some of the principles 
but this has some really fundamental changes uh, that are creating a lot of questions in the country. So glad to glad to have the opportunity to talk through it today. Yeah. So I think one of the things I know some of the feedback, you know, uh, being a producer myself, worked with some of the WIP and WIP Plus programs in prior years. I know some of the feedback was, yeah, let's make this process a little simpler, uh, <laughs> starting with the application process. So maybe if you could give us a little bit of a breakdown of, you know, what their what their goal was with their uh, pre-filled apps and 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 kind of go down that lines if you could. Yeah, well, that's a great question. So one of the complaints about WIP Plus, and this largely came from the FSA County offices, was that, golly, we feel like we're doing a lot of work that's already been done for them to rekey by unit all the losses across the farm and then kind of measure those and see if it cranks out a WIP Plus uh, program payment. Couldn't crop insurance just download this data to us? And of course, crop insurance, the AIPs, the, the industry said, yeah, we can certainly do that. The problem is FSA doesn't have software. Uh, they, they're notoriously uh, poor at having software systems that, that are that are up to date and that talk with one another, much less with outside entities like the crop insurance industry. So there were always some challenges there. I think that, well, that is definitely what they were trying to address to make this easier for the county office employees. And to do that, they basically just allowed RMA to download their data in this phase. There's a phase one and phase two uh, kind of systemology that's being used in this ERP rollout, um, where phase one, basically, they sent letters, FSA sent letters to, to every producer uh, that had an MPCI crop insurance claim, you know, on their RP or, or YP type of policy, you know, throughout the nation in 20 or 2021. Uh, and then the Producer in this case uh, for phase one just basically has to certify that, yeah, they had a loss that is one of the articulated losses of the statute, one of the covered losses by the ERP program. Once they certify that, uh, then in phase one, it creates out a, a payment. In phase two, that'll come later. The thought is that's where they will cover some shallow losses. So one of the great things about ERP is like WIP Plus and the, and the WIP model that was, that was formed uh, five years ago. It builds upon crop insurance. So it, it creates a kind of a band of coverage on top of the level of crop insurance that you purchased. So if you purchased CAT, the minimum, it, it, it pluses you up to 75%, I think, and, and can pay that band between 75 and 50 where, where, where CAT lies. If you buy up to, say, a 75% policy, it, it, it bands you up to 92.5. So that's a high value of insurance, obviously, or of coverage. Uh, and and you get that extra amount if you if you buy a you know above seventy five, then you're plussed up all the way to ninety five. That was the model with plus. That's a great model. It is complex because there's just a lot of data going in there, and uh, and and that's a model that they tried uh, to keep in this in in this current um, iteration. The, this this called ERP. The one other feature that they added, and this is a big one. This is a really big one. You know, there were some complaints that if if in 19, under the previous WIP Plus, if you had bought like a high-level policy, 85, or say a, a area-based policy like SEO um, or Stacks, and that becomes more relevant in 20 and 21 with the advent of ECO, uh, that that you might, you know, they statutorily they can't reimburse above 95%. And so you were kind of hitting that limit. And so Where's the incentive to purchase that uh, under federal crop insurance? So one of the added features that they added in this time was the ability, or they actually will right. rebate the producer paid premiums 
in loss situations. So even if you bought a, a 95% ECO and, and uh, were covered up to that amount, you can still get uh, your premiums back under this program. It's really remarkable. It's really very generous. Yeah. I don't know that it's very sustainable. We can talk about that. Yeah. No, that's... Sorry, I went on long there. No, that... Hey, lots of great information there. Um, and just want to maybe touch one more thing on that application process. So I know the local FSA offices are sending out these pre-filled applications to growers. Uh, one of the questions we've had is, what if you get an application, but you actually didn't have a truly have a loss um, that was a qualifying loss? Is there anything that uh, that uh, is done in that in that uh, at, at that area? That's that's a great question, Ken. That's one that's coming around a lot. Uh, we've had some conference calls with FSA. There are some Q and A's that are actually really really relevant and valuable on the RMA website, as well as the FSA website. Uh, so kind of the classic example on this question is uh, the, the statute says to get a drought-based claim, um, you need to be in a county that had D2 drought for eight weeks. Uh, that's D2, of course, according to the University of Nebraska's Drought Monitor Index. And that information is up on the FSA website, on the RMA, what counties uh, met that threshold in either 20 or 2021. At the same time, the statute says that, that losses that you can certify to include excessive heat uh, and wind, uh, you know, derecho and, and, and high winds and some other things that, that may have affected that crop. So RMA and FSA have been very careful on their website and Q&A. One, they made the policy decision to send these letters to everyone, whether you were in a D2 eight-week county or not on the drought side. And so every producer who had a loss that was covered by MPCI is looking at this letter and being asked, you know, shall I certify uh, that this is a covered loss under the the statute? And of course, RMA is is very careful in saying that we realize, uh, and FSA, we realize that, you know, oftentimes a loss, you know, shouldn't be attributed to just one thing. There can be multiple factors. Certainly, oftentimes, excessive heat is also a function right. uh, of, uh, of a drought. And so it is, and they have been very open in saying that it would not be a bad conscience. In fact, it would be uh, expected uh, that, that many farmers who experienced excessive heat during that time period, but were not in a D2 eight-week period, uh, county and did have a loss, they should go ahead and certify, you know, check yes. Uh, this program is meant to help producers who who sustained losses, and so we expect that they'll do that. We even asked the question, Ken, on on hail. Hail is not a covered loss under the statute of this of this emergency program, but excessive moisture uh, and related events. There's kind of some fuzzy language there, and and wind and and other things are. And so I've, I've just asked the question very straightforwardly, okay, what if hail was a factor, but maybe it was drought stress before that? Maybe you were in a D2 for eight-week county, or maybe not. Maybe it had excessive heat and it was a stress crop and kind of hail was the final nail in the coffin. But you can in good conscience say that it, it, it suffered from other covered losses as well. Should you go ahead and certify? The answer I've gotten back from, F, from FSA and RMA has been, yeah, it's the producer's certification that counts. Uh, and if they had a covered loss, uh, and if they can attribute their loss to some of those covered perils, by all means, they should they should check yes and and, and certify this loss. 
Oh, that's great. I hope that's, that's helpful. Yeah. yeah, that's very helpful. Thank you for clarifying. Because that's been a question I've, we've had from some agents like, hey, we got a bad hail event in our area. Um, was probably the primary reason for yield loss, but obviously we had other factors. So no, thank you for thank you for clarifying. That's that's really good information for our listeners. Uh, one other thing that has come up regarding the application process, uh, we know of several growers that had a loss on their multi-pro last year, but like you mentioned before, have maybe have last year or the prior year purchased ECO mm-hmm. and they did not get an application. So they're asking, you know, why didn't I get one? And uh, maybe if you could uh, talk a little bit about, you know, how this phase one is actually working when we deal with those uh, area plans that are not quite finalized on their discovery of yield yet. Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, because for 2021, especially, if if a producer purchased an area, area plan like SEO or ECO or stacks in cotton country, uh, those claims have not settled. The production by county hasn't settled. In the formula on this ERP, you're basically looking at your adjusted uh, threshold of loss. So that's your level of crop insurance coverage plussed up by the ERP benefit. Um, so let's say a 75% policy gets plussed up to 92.5. Uh, then it also nets out, so it, it looks like your actual production plus any crop insurance indemnity on your multi-parrel plus any crop insurance indemnity on an area plan and measures that against your, your, your target. Then it also nets out the crop insurance premium where you can, where you can get that back. And that netting out of crop insurance premium applies to both your, your underlying MPCI policy and any kind of SEO or ECO. Because those 2021 policies haven't settled yet, uh, they just don't know the numbers to plug in. And therefore, they just held those out of the initial phase one letters. Now, my understanding, uh, Ken, is that they're going to come back with kind of a phase one B later in the summer after those area plans have settled out and send letters just like the ones that have already been received relevant to 2021 uh, for those producers that, that had an area policy. and who mathematically have this qualifying loss, uh, then phase two will kind of clean up the shallow losses and other other uh, kind of uh, discrepancies beyond that. So just to be clear, uh, if, if producer had a 2021 loss, but also had an area-based plan that's not yet settled, they should not have expected to, to get a letter in this initial phase one but there will be opportunities going forward to uh, uh, to participate in this ERP program. The other kind of funny just date thing uh, that has happened is, you know, there were some claims in the upper Midwest. You've probably seen some of these, Ken, where, where maybe preventive planning claims in 2020 were tied to a 2019, the, you know, the beginning of some heavy flooding in 2019. And the adjuster may have put that on the loss sheet. Right. And because that bleeds through the RMA system, anything with losses tied to calendar year 2019 were excluded from this phase, initial phase one letter. But to be clear, if that 2020 loss was in 2020, obviously there were uh, intervening events in calendar year 2022, even though the, the loss adjustment paperwork may have tied it to 2019. So we feel confident those will be able to be remedied uh, going forward. Not sure if that'll be in, in kind of an adjustment to phase one. Uh, as in phase 1B, or if, if that gets taken care of in phase 2. Huh. 
right. but some kind of funny things with the calendar year versus versus crop year. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we we definitely there. had some of that up in up in my region, up in North Dakota and South Dakota yeah. area. So that's that's very good information. And just FY for our listeners, you know, the area based plans like ECO, SCO. Uh, this month of June here, we're going to be having those final yields discovered. So I'd expect that information to be able to be filtered to the FSA here, uh, hopefully by the end of the month. Say I don't know if we've been given a date, Tom, on when they're hoping to do phase 1B yet, but uh, I think it's after all that information has uh, disseminated out. So Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, you touched... Uh, Switch topics here a little bit to kind of the payments. You did a nice job here um, when you're talking about that before on how the payments are calculated. Uh, maybe touch a little bit about, I know there's this 7525, and just wonder if you could touch a little bit more on what this first payment would be for producers. Yeah. So uh, so Congress, when they passed the law, they provided $10 billion, and then and they earmarked $750 million of that for livestock producers, they had about two months ago issued what they call the emergency livestock uh, emergency program, that's ELRP. That's kind of based on LFP, based on your head counts and grazing numbers and that kind of stuff. So they had $9.25 billion left, actually 9.215 because there was a, uh, an earmark in this bill for, for FSA personnel and, and, and uh, software as well. So 9.15. They, when they put out the press release on this, they, they said they expect phase one will cover $6 billion worth of losses there, but, but they don't know that for sure. You know, they're making estimates. Models are always, all, always wrong. The important part is they have $9.15 billion to spend. They believe on their MF Max's first round one will pay out $6 billion. That would be based on the 75% factor. So when a producer receives this uh, FSA 520, it has a number uh, that they should qualify for that may be, you know, $20,000. But the producer is only going to get 75% of that after they turn it in. RMA has factored that or US FSA has factored that back so to make sure that they don't run out of money because this is a limited pot of, of funds. Believe it or not, almost funny to say that with the federal government, but this was a specifically allocated amount of funds that is capped. And so they, they don't want to run beyond that. So they're holding back that 25%. I think they'll go through the phase 1B. They'll go through phase 2. And then maybe with phase 2 or maybe at the end of phase 2, they will see if there are money left, money's left over to top up all these payments toward that 100% of the calculated loss. We'll see if they get there uh, or not. But for now, producers can count on that 75% factor. Unless they're in the underserved categories, which are very expansive under this under this bill and under the Biden administration, you know, there's there's long time definitions of, of of so-called socially disadvantaged farmers. That's not farmers who can't dance. Well, it may be they're certainly socially disadvantaged in reality, but the, what we're talking about here are the underserved communities, and in this case, they're including all women, all females, veteran farmers, new beginning farmers. And then any ethnic uh, kind of minorities. So if you certify to that, you actually get 15% added to your calculated max indemnity. And then they take the 25% uh, factor off that. So for, for someone who qualifies uh, as one of those underserved communities, you know, your 75 actually goes to about 86.4, I think is the math on it. You know, your, your 
calculation goes to 115%, and then it's factored back by 25%. Okay. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, that does. No, that's that's great information. So I also appreciate you saying that we're probably looking at probably phase one, phase one B, then phase two before they look at that remaining 25%. Yeah. So so it's not a phase one's going to get their 75C, we're at finish off the phase one before we go to phase two, because there are definitely producers out there that have been brought to light that uh, maybe didn't quite hit the trigger because of the multi-pearl level they bought. They maybe yep. didn't quite trigger, but they were yep. obviously below a 95% uh, of their APH on their yep. farm in 20 or 21. So, so that's very good information. Thanks, Tom, on that. Actually going to switch gears a little bit and touch just a little bit on PRF. I know we've got producers out here that have bought PRF, so a prairie rangeland and forage policy. And do you have some insight on if they qualify and, and what they would qualify for with that policy? Yeah, great question. It gets a little confusing here too, because even when you read the rule, it says there's an exclusion that the, the grazing losses shouldn't be covered, but then they, they sent out the notices on, on certain PRF policies and on annual forage policies. So what they're saying is, you know, the, the grazing losses that were covered earlier were done as a plus up to the livestock forage uh, program and the ELRP, both of which are essentially based on, you know, head of grazing animals, uh, not so much on land units or anything like that. You basically certify your number of head and you get get uh, paid some additional feed costs for that. In this program, they did decide, FSA and RMA decided to, to send letters to everyone who had a PRF hay policy. And they sent a letter to everyone who had an annual forage claim. Uh, what, no matter what they certified, they said that they didn't have a, a way to separate out uh, annual forage if it was certified for grazing or for say grain graze or you know forage or you know, other things that it can be certified to at the FSA office. So they basically sent it to, to everyone who had an annual forage claim, which is going to hit a lot of kind of drought-stricken areas. Obviously, this was done far beyond the D2 for eight, eight-week designations as well. And, and this is an, uh, an area-based kind of parametric trigger that, 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 that goes on these. So it's kind of created a lot of questions, seriously. And the questions have generally gone like this, seriously, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get, you know, paid again for this. That's a, it's a lot. Um, it's a lot of help. And, and I think the answer is yes. Now, the way that, that FSA and RMA are trying to parse this right now is, is they say, well, this is for production losses on, on hay or forage ground. So again, they kind of go back to this question. Look, it's, it's the producer's certification. Are you going to certify that you had a production loss? If you are, that's, that's fine. That's why you got the letter. That's why this, this program is here to help you. On like an annual forage policy where it may have been, you may have certified it as grazing. Uh, their question is, were these losses covered by previous uh, grazing programs and losses? And if the answer to that is yes, then then you shouldn't certify. If the answer is no, this was a true production loss, and I, you know, it's it's uh, then yeah, this program is designed for you. So it gets a little confusing uh, in there, but I think you just have to kind of work with the county office and work with uh, the local agents and uh, and uh, kind of ride with the herd uh, on this one. Yeah, yeah. No. Hopefully that's helpful. Yes, definitely. I, again, 
definitely like say to reiterate what Tom said there, definitely submit your application on that and, and let's uh, work out the details. Cause obviously producers that have hang and grazing on their PRF policies, uh, you know, we want to make sure that those uh, on the hang side do get, do get covered. So yeah, let's switch to one of my other uh, favorite topics, uh, prevent plants. So questions have come in <laughs> from producers that, mm-hmm. all right, so let's say 20, uh, 21, my operation had a loss and it was prevent plant. So, and let's just, for this example, say we're using corn, for example. So that's a policy that would pay out at 55%. Not, mm-hmm. uh, let's not worry about the buy-up you can have with that. But with this, let's say that my my operation had an 80% policy. So now I've qualified for a 95% level with this program. Mm-hmm. Um, but historically, I'm being paid at 55% of my 80 Eighty percent uh, coverage level. Right. How? Any idea, or do you have some insight on how we're handling uh, how they're handling that when it comes to the loss due to prevent plant? Yeah, uh, it's a great question. Uh, there are, were a lot of preventive plant losses uh, in twenty, not nearly as many as nineteen. Uh, when, when recall in nineteen, we actually had a true RMA based assistance program for preventive planning. It was called the PP, you know, top up. And it was smooth yeah. as silk, you know, it just, you know, right. <laughs> we didn't have to do a lot of these kind of calls on that one. It was great. Uh, this is, this is different. That, that factor, your PP factor does bleed through the calculation. So make no mistake. They are not saying, okay, your 80% policy that was factored back to 55 is now a 95% policy and you get paid a hundred percent of that. That is not the case. You still have the PP factor bleeding through. So the, the the ninety five percent that you're popped up to an ERP is also factored by the same fifty five percent. So you really are comparing apples to apples uh, in in that case. It's still a, a generous, very generous benefit for a crop that you know, you didn't end up spending any money on, other than preparatory kind of work. That's what preventive planning right. is, is designed to address. So um, so that is, and then obviously there are you know USDA RMA has brought in a lot of new flexibilities on preventive planning, uh, good or bad. But, you know, you can plant cover crops behind. There, there are reductions you can take if you plant a, a crop, if, if, the, if the ground clears and you can plant a crop. So there are deeper factors. Those same deeper factors would bleed through. And then, and then a, a subsequent crop uh, uh, could also be covered under this ERP. So it gets pretty wild and woolly there. Yeah. It is where, you know, agents are best suited to work through some of this math. You know, there has been kind of a frustration with this program in that everyone's pointing at each other, particularly the FSA offices are saying, this isn't our program, this is an RMA program. That is not a true statement. This is an FSA program. They just chose to use RMA data. But also even in some of the the literature out of USDA, they've said, if you have questions, call your agent. That's kind of a lousy uh, deal just because, you know, Agents deliver crop insurance. They have privity of contract with AIPs and right. with, with their uh, customers. They don't have privity of contract with the federal government. They're not employees of. They're not covered by sovereign immunity. They're not. You know, they're they're liable for uh, advice that they give or or misadvice that they give. And so it presents a real a real challenge for local agents. But I, I think you can just, in good faith, work through these these questions. Work through the math. Uh, try and do the best uh, job possible, but 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 no, this is fundamentally an FSA program, and uh, the the good news is agents are out there, you know, generally ready to do the work. I suppose a lot of agents are going to be listening to this uh, 
to this podcast. And let me just encourage you uh, to lean in with the producers, try and cultivate those relationships with the local FSA county office. Understand that they're a little bit defensive right now because they've felt kind of left out of the loop. Uh, so, so everyone's a little bit punchy on this right now, but you just got to kind of be patient, work through it. Well, we have until July 22nd to get these forms uh, turned in and filed. My understanding is when they are finally turned in, they're being turned around in a couple of days and, and, and checks are hitting farmers' mailboxes. And obviously, no one will put that money to use like, like farmers will. They'll, they'll go and spend it. Um, so it is going to be a quick turnaround once you get the document signed. You just want to make sure you, you, you do the right thing right. in signing and certifying to the right information. So kind of going along that lines, um, so what do you see kind of as the role of agents in regards to and producers here in regards to let's say that that application they received that there's an error on it some reason that data from rma pulled into this and it's wrong what is the role of an agent here in helping getting that fixed or what is the role of a producer if they discover an error yeah that's a great question so it, it's amazing you know we we work with sepa which is a great network of of some of the top agents uh, from across the land. And we've we've tried to really actively uh, engage in this discussion. And it's amazing how much of the information is right on. Once you kind of figure out all the little, all the little wrinkles of the formula, uh, the numbers are are spot on. And and a lot of agents I've talked to have checked that out and and feel good and and kind of standing by their farmers. There have been a few just just kind of mistakes like weird kind of cross uh, references to different entities that, that maybe aren't, aren't uh, covered or, or, you know, and they just appear to be real anomalies or there are some units that are just kind of left out that, that folks can't, can't understand. I've seen some of these get remedied by going to the County office. Sometimes things have been lost in the mail. Uh, sometimes it just didn't get mailed. Maybe the FSA, the FSA does have a registered list of all the letters that, should have gone out in the county and you can kind of uh, uh, correct some things there and check against them. Uh, and then they've also offered, you know, and, and I know that, that, um, that y'all will have access that FMA tribe access to, to the RMA staff, uh, a guy named Chris Alber, others they are putting a lot of time and, and work into this and they're, they're willing to track down on a case by case. Thankfully, it appears the system is pretty good. I mean, I can't imagine the number of lines of data that were involved in this download from RMA to FSA. And, and I can I, I can say this, it's amazing how few mistakes uh, there appear to be, how much they got right. Uh, we don't say that much about the federal government, but we should you know, give them credit when, when credit is due. There is a lot right in here. Uh, and they're being good about working casework, you know, about trying to dig yeah. dig into if if you have one that's that's clearly wrong, you know, admonition, you know, do the work, make sure it's wrong, don't don't you know, and and kind of do the do the homework to make sure uh, you've investigated uh, all the various possibilities. Uh, but if if it's clear that that there was a mistake in some of this, uh, you know, I, I think going to the county office, but then also going up the chain through state offices. Uh, uh, and working through associations like SEPA or through your AIP, uh, uh, FNH is really a, a, a good way to go. It's kind of a great uh, to, to use a Hillary Rodham Clinton phase. It takes a village, and that's kind of the, the approach on this one. I know that's going to be exactly. popular with exactly. the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's an old throwback there. Uh, 
Appreciate that that info. Uh, got one one more kind of uh, question, kind of tying back just to make sure that there isn't a difference here. It, majority of the policies written in the nation definitely are are RP policies, but is there a difference between the RP and the YP as far as calculations and also tying in like producers' unit structure? Does that have any implication, or is it the same math no matter which way you have gone within your organization? Yeah, that's a good question. No, there is a difference. So if you bought a, a less valuable YP policy, you don't get the higher of the price. They base it on the, the, the price selection, the relevant price selection. Whereas if you bought an RP policy, uh, then in the ERP calculation, they'll use the, the, the higher of the spring or the harvest price. Yes. And that's relevant, uh, particularly in, in, in 2021, uh, where you had a lot of run up uh, in, in prices. So the, so the, uh, the guarantee prices at the end were, were higher than they were in the spring. Yes. Uh, so, and I think that's only, for, you know, the, the, the producer took that, uh, that additional uh, or tailored their risk management. They wanted that price guarantee. And, and uh, so, yeah, it does track with that. Oh, that's, that's great. Unit wise, that probably the same thing. However, if you got optional or enterprise, that's all same calculations rolling through. There's probably not any difference in that avenue. Is there Tom? That's right. That's okay. right. Great. Well, thank you on that. Uh, just a couple more questions here before we wrap our wrap things up here today. So, first off, um, has there been any language uh, in the in the uh, in the law regarding like an audit process? You know, we've submitted stuff in, have gotten paid. What is there anything on that side from an audit standpoint that uh, producers just should be aware of? Uh, there, there's nothing in the law. There's there's not a lot in. The guidance uh, obviously producers should should always uh, hold hold true to the to the uh, you know just do the right thing. Um, if if you had a loss that's covered, certified to it. If 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 not, don't. Uh, again, USDA has been very clear about this notion that just because you know your crop insurance claim may have called it drought and you're not in a D two eight week county, we understand there can be other things, and we're not going to go back and. Uh, automatically disqualify you because the the lost record on your crop insurance was not one of the, the the covered things. So they've been very clear about that. In fact, I just you know we talked about this earlier, but just to read exactly the word, the verbiage on the Q and A that's on the public website for RMA right now. They say for many uh, the documentation of loss may directly relate to a qualifying disaster event under ERP. However, your crop insurance claim documentation by itself does not disqualify you from being eligible under ERP, as it may not capture or document all qualifying disaster events impacting your production. You as a producer are responsible for certifying to a portion of your loss being attributed to a qualifying disaster event. They're not saying they're not going to do audits. I think you have to expect that, that you may be uh, audited. And the answer is just do the right thing. But you know, but we want to be very clear at the same time, there's flexibility here. They understand that just because your, your crop insurance documentation may have said one loss, uh, uh, you can. And, and if it's true, you should attribute the loss to one of the covered uh, events. Um, so hopefully that's helpful, just reflecting. Yeah, no, that's, that's very helpful. Thanks for, for clarifying on that. And, and uh yeah, that's as a producer, that's always wanting to make sure, hey, what what do I have to be careful of? But I think the the takeaway is have the documentation to prove that you have a loss. And if you have, yeah. you shouldn't have yeah. anything to worry about. 
That's right. And I think it's a good idea. You know, if, if, if you had, uh, if it was say attributed as a hail loss, but you did have a, a, a massive kind of washout associated with that hail event and the loss adjuster just called it named hail as, as a peril, just document that, you know, uh, as, as you're thinking about it while you're doing this certification, put it in your notes so that if you do, if they do come back, you can, you can answer the question, honestly, same on the, on the drought versus heat stress or excessive heat. You know, as you're thinking about it, as you're signing these forms, go ahead and document that out. Yeah, we had six days above 100 degree weather where it just baked and and record that uh, in your notes, just so if you do, if they do come back and ask a question, you you have it right there. Um, I think I think that will work out just perfectly fine. Very good. Got one last uh, question for you. So um, right now we all know that uh, commodity prices in in the U.S. have been very strong, and uh, you know, question has been some of these programs coming out now. Is there any concern for the industry with kind of this? overlaying of products um what's your take on that oh man that's this is this is a question i love ken you know we spend a lot of time we have for a lot of years defending promoting strong agricultural policy and we have our critics Uh, we always have Uh, they come from the far left like the environmental working group and stuff that that they don't like modern conventional farmers uh, and 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 the style of farming they don't like big agriculture uh, they don't like big family farms. They don't like any family. You know, they, they like some notion of, of the 1860s. <laughs> you have those wild, wild eyed people. And then you have the libertarians on the other side who, who uh, don't want the federal government to spend any money, but they don't want to gore major ox, oxen. So they, they, they come right. after agriculture just because there aren't many of us. You know, the, the, there are about 200 farm families in the U.S. that produce 85% of the of, of the agricultural goods. So you're not going many people's oxen when you, when you, uh, when you get, when you put out your chest and you talk about how the federal government needs to exercise restraint in, in spending, you know, the entire federal agricultural budget is one quarter of 1%. Um, you know, you could eliminate it, uh, and, and not address, you could eliminate all agricultural policy. And if, if the economy doesn't, doesn't, if, you know, leaving everything else, uh, as is, you wouldn't pay off one year's federal deficit in a hundred years. I mean, ag is just so small, um, but it's fundamentally important. I think we're seeing that like we we never have before. I mean, this summer we, you know, President or Secretary Bilsack is currently predicting an internet a global food crisis. Uh, not enough calories to go. Increases in crop prices that are going to affect the poorest communities in the nation in 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 tragic ways, predictably tragic ways. The fact is we need the American farmer. We need the most dynamic, the most productive farm sector in the entire world to get to work. And so if nothing else, just see these extra dollars as an encouragement to go out there, to plant the crops, to produce crops, because the world needs your crops this summer. We don't know beyond that. Obviously, ag is always cyclical. Uh, we can already begin to worry and, and start to predict the next time that prices uh, go into a slump because we have overproduction. Uh, but the fact is, we we need the U.S. producers. Congress knows that the ag has become incredibly high stakes and low margin type of business. Uh, the fact is, every farmer I know is just putting so much capital on the line each year 
profits look good right now, but we know that that can turn around uh, going forward. Uh, I think the Congress also knows that 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 you know farmers are a worthy investment. That that when when money is provided to help kind of get through the lean times, uh, it's well utilized. It's used in the economy and it turns over in the economy many times. Uh, and so there's just a there's a strong story for good agricultural policy. There's no question these payments will be going out in some times when a lot of people are going to be looking at it thinking, golly, we're in a pretty good position already. Why are we getting these extra dollars? I would just encourage people to, to, to use it, you know, put it away, put it aside because there will be lean times again. Use it in your operation to become more efficient and better at what you do, uh, to take care of the land better, to take care of the environment better. That's what the American farmer does this most dynamic, uh, productive agricultural sector in the world. So, um, and, and politically, you know, we, where we spend a lot of time defending, let me just say, you know, I, I don't think, well, you know, crop insurance should be enough. Ideally, we wouldn't have ad hoc disaster programs on top. Uh, they came in in 17 because Florida was hit and they had low levels of buy-up, particularly on some of the tree crops that were most affected by Hurricane Michael. And then once that precedent was set, uh, Congress just keeps on going. I think in the next farm bill, we'll transition into a debate about what can we do on more of a permanent basis to better cover the deductibles, the high deductibles that, that we have in crop insurance. You know, what investments could we make in crop insurance or in some sort of uh, on top of crop insurance program uh, that would be more uh, a, a more reliable uh, thing for producers and, and a better use of taxpayer dollars? Uh, from a congressional standpoint. So all those are relevant questions. But let me just say, I, I don't think uh, that this undermines agriculture or, or farm families or crop insurance in any way. Uh, these, these dollars will be well utilized in the country uh, uh, to help feed uh, a, a needy world. So uh, I love kind of, you know, it's, this isn't maybe the ideal program in my book, but uh, I'll never back away from defending uh, the, these programs that are designed to help farm families across the U.S. Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate your answer there. And, and uh, definitely agree, you know, seeing some of the uh, crop progress planning reports here uh, in the last week, uh, there's no doubt the farmers are getting after it, even in the areas you know, like yeah. North Dakota, Northern Minnesota, where they've been struggling <laughs> with rain. So. That's uh, amazing. Yeah. Producers went from like 15% planted to 98% yes. over, over, yeah. over a week. It was crazy. There's no question farmers want to plant and grow a crop. So yeah. uh, thanks for that answer. I really appreciate that. That, that. that was excellent. Any final thoughts, Tom? We've, I've really enjoyed our time here today. Yeah, likewise. Well, um, yeah, I, I think just, just continue to communicate. Let me, let me just encourage folks, ask questions. You know, there are great organizations you know, like SEPA or the producer groups, whether it's corn growers, you know, soy growers, sorghum, cotton, uh, all those things are good to, to, to really good to be involved in. Obviously, the AIPs do an incredible job of delivering these programs, of handling the data. So thanks uh, to what y'all do uh, at FMH as, as one, of the, one of the great AIPs serving the nation's farmers. Uh, it really is. It's kind of an all hands on deck uh, approach. And, and I think even these kind of uh, podcasts and episodes, uh, hopefully we can narrow down on these questions and help farmers uh, uh, get what they deserve and go on down the road building for, for a better future. So don't hesitate to ask questions. And, and Ken certainly hope you'll share my information. If anyone is, uh, has any follow up, uh, I'd be happy to, uh, to get our staff and or, and or myself and try and try and answer those. 
Yeah. Thank you so much, Tom. So yeah, a couple just earlier in the podcast, uh, Tom had talked about some other frequently asked questions, the FAQ. So just want to call out that for, for producers and agents, farmers.gov has some great stuff on it there. If you do a search for the emergency relief program, you'll get the FAQ. The same information is also available on the RMA's website uh, with the, uh, if you do the ERP or the emergency relief program, uh, search on either one of those sites, you'll get the FAQs that we kind of referenced uh, early in the podcast. But again, Tom, I can't thank you enough for taking time with us. Uh, again, my guest today was Tom Sell with Combest Sell and Associates, uh, who represents the Crop Insurance Professionals Association or SEPA. And if there's questions that come out, definitely reach into us here at FMH and we will definitely get you in touch with Tom if you're wanting to have some some more information from him. But Thank you so much, Tom. Appreciate you joining us today. And uh, thanks everyone for joining in. And this will conclude our episode of FMH InsureCast. Thanks, Ken. You've been listening to FMH InsureCast. We appreciate you joining us today and would like to hear from you. If you have questions about today's topic or an idea to share for an upcoming podcast, you can contact us at fmhpodcast at fmh.com. Thanks for listening. This podcast is intended for information purposes only. See policy provisions, terms, and conditions for details. Products underwritten by Farmers Mutual Hail Insurance Company of Iowa and its affiliates, West Des Moines, Iowa. Farmers Mutual Hail is an equal opportunity provider.